sure that everyone is on the same page. I want to go through some things as reminders. So Sunday night, uh, we have the service at 5 p.m., but remember, we transform this and we have a missions banquet. And something that we do with our missions conference is Sunday night is given to hearing testimonies from the missionary wives. And uh, I just, I've had a personal conviction for a long time that especially in, in ministry couples, um, a ministry wife can, you just, you just never know what they're thinking, you never know what they go through, you never know the challenges that they face. And that is one of my favorite services of that time because you get to hear how God is working in their life and the challenges that they've had to face in the battles that they go through. And so they'll, the ladies will be, will be giving testimony to God's help and work in their lives. And so that'll be on Sunday night. Um, and also, rather than doing a potluck like we've had the, the staff, I think this was Miss Carrie's idea, actually, but we're, it was somebody's idea. Brother Adam's idea? I don't know. Uh, whatever. It was an idea that somebody had. We're going we're gonna to have a potato bar. Um, and some of, your, some of you are excited. One of you is excited. <laughs> and then everybody else is just kind of rolling their eyes and like, eh, I'm going to go to Taco Bell and whatever. So... No, it's going to be great, um, and so we're going to have the, the, all of the toppings that go with that, and so that'll be on Sunday night. We are not having a nursery. I kind of go back and forth on this, but man, I, I think we can handle and just being mature enough, like if, if, you know, we have a baby that's crying or something, you know, obviously you can take them out and just hand them that, give them some butter or some sour cream from the potato that you didn't finish. Um, but we want, we, want all the, we want all of our nursery workers to be able to enjoy as much of this as possible. And we have ladies that do a great job Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. They're going to be um, handling the nursery. And so on Sunday night, we won't have a nursery. Um, so we're just going to, everybody's going to be in here. And then uh, tonight, um, we have our missions commitment cards. And I uh, want to remind you how this works um, on the right on this side, you have this perforated smaller section. It's helpful for us to be able to anticipate what we can do uh, for missions as far as taking on new missionaries. If you give and you say, well, the amount that I'm going to do and how often I'm going to give it, it's not on there. We'll just write it in. And then on this one, there is not a place for you to put your name. There is a place for you to put your Sunday school class and that's just helpful to know, especially if we start getting a lot of these cards written in crown from like Miss um, Megan's class. It's like, eh, we need to ask some questions about those and maybe, maybe factor those in a little bit differently. But um, that was helpful. The, do not, here's what I don't want you to be concerned about. Well, what is, what is pastor going to think or what is, you know, one of the leaders going to think? doesn't matter because we don't know who does what. This, you are not giving an account to me or to anyone else. We all ought to be involved in missions. We'll talk about that tonight. But you just need to hear from God. You say, how am I supposed to do that? Ask God. Talk to your spouse. Young people, I think it's a great opportunity for you to get involved. But you need to talk to your parents about that. And, you know, sometimes your parents will offer guidance. And your parents definitely will just offer guidance and say, you know, maybe not that much. Or, you know, think about these things. But it's, we need to be involved, but you just need to let God guide that. So I don't want there to be, and we talk about this every year, there does not need to be any human pressure about this. You just need to hear from God. And he, if you will ask, he will tell you exactly what to do 
and our church will have exactly what we need to have. And so we're going to pass those out tonight. We will not collect them this Sunday. We're going to give them tonight. So from tonight until our next Sunday, a week from this Sunday, that's when we'll turn those in uh, during the offering Sunday morning and Sunday night, 10 days-ish from now. And so if you have any questions about that, you can certainly see me. And then just some missions um, things and what, to talk about and why, why we need to be engaged in this. Um, the Poss family, they minister to the deaf in Ecuador. They have for, I think, about 10, 11 years. Um, they believe the Lord has led them home, and so they're they're no longer in Ecuador. And not any not any bad reason. They're back at their local church in Columbia, uh, Missouri, or in Missouri. I'm not sure if it's Columbia, Missouri, but in Missouri. And uh, the Lord is the Lord is allowed to direct people however He wants to. And so we've continued to support them just to help in the transition um, from the field back home. And that's always a good and a gracious thing to do. And we are, we are going to be a gracious and a generous church as people go through those kind of transitions. But then it's just a reminder of why we need to be asking the Lord to send laborers into his harvest because there are transitions. And you say, well, what does it mean about the apostles? Well, this is what we should assume. It means that they're following the Lord. And uh, you, just, you just praise the Lord for that. Thank God that we got to be a part of their ministry there. Thank God for the, the fruit that remains and the church that is continuing the work, the people that have been saved and that will be saved. And then let's just continue to be involved in people and helping people get to where they need to be. And always, always asking the question, God, what do you want from me in this process? And he'll certainly, he'll certainly give direction to that. All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 4. I know that's a lot of information. And follow it up with just a, if you want to call this a mindset, a principle... But just being reminded of how missions works, how the work of missions works. And so you look at an instruction manual, you look at a pattern. Um, I've never sown anything in my life. I mean, I've, I've looked at it and thought, it'd be cool to be able to do that. And, and I really think it's cool when you have the, the people who cut the yards of material, and they're just like, tuff, 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 tuff. you know what I'm talking about? See, y'all aren't impressed with the simple things in life. I mean, I would look like a three-year-old cut it out. I mean, there's like, man, it's impressive. I just want to go order materials so I can watch them cut it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's kind of fun uh, to do that. But you go, you go through those patterns you know those big, y'all know what I'm talking about? Like just sections of these, of these patterns. And, you know, I go through there and I, I have no idea what I'm looking at. I'm like, oh, kindling. <laughs> I mean, this paper looks like it would burn really well. Like what, it, what is somebody supposed to do with this? And it, yet the right lady or the right man that has had training and has understanding, they can, they can look at one of those patterns and they can know exactly what it means and exactly what it is that they're supposed to do. And so then they can take that pattern and they can emulate or they can put that pattern into practice. There is a pattern for how missions is supposed to work. And God wants us to understand it. And it does not need to be a complicated thing. 
And also, we need to embrace the simplicity of it because in the simplicity of God's pattern for missions, there is great effectiveness. And I, I really want you to get that idea tonight, and that's where we're going to land the effectiveness of this pattern that we see here at a local level that is then supposed to be replicated at a global level. When we do things God's way and we embrace the simplicity of his methods, they are timelessly effective. They were effective in this day in Acts in which we're reading. And I'm just, I'm telling you this, they are as effective today. Man, if it feels like, man, it just it doesn't seem like the gospel works. No, 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 the gospel works. Oftentimes, churches are the ones getting in their own ways more than any outside oppression or persecution. The work of the gospel and the pattern that Jesus Christ gave, it's still effective today. And we need to be excited about it because we get to be involved in a global work that has eternal ramifications and I understand the challenges, I do understand the challenges of weekly grinding out a job and the difficulty of budgeting and the burden of all these different expectations that you face. But the reality is that God has given you opportunity through the life of a local church and through your employment and through your heart for God and your ability and all of the things that he would do with you to be involved in an eternally significant work. And he gives us the pattern over and over again, and it's amazing. We don't need to get bored with it. So you know what that means? You have to choose to stay excited about it. You have to choose to be excited about something that is timelessly effective when we just embrace it. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, Peter and John are being interrogated for why they would dare heal a guy. <laughs> the Pharisees are still being the Pharisees just weeks, months after Jesus has gone, to, gone back to heaven. And in the name of Jesus Christ, this man is healed and he's saved, hallelujah. That's what Jesus does. He just changes people's lives. And it's not boring. It's pretty awesome. And so here's the religious establishment. Who gave you this authority to do this? Okay, anyway, verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So they go back, they go back to the church, the local church that is there, and they, and they just say, hey, this is what happened. People know that they've been arrested, that they've been interrogated, and so they're giving the report. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, and I love this prayer. It is an amazing prayer. Lord Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Man, it'd be real. Can I just remind you of this? On the eve of another ridiculous and unpredictable and insane political season, can I just remind you that the Lord still is the God who made the heaven and the earth and he rules over it all. You're like, well, this doesn't look like. Now, I'm just telling you, God hasn't lost the grip on what is going on. And so they go on, he's talking about, God, you've seen by the mouth of David, of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine, a vain, imagine vain things? That's Psalm 2. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ forever truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, 
and the gent- with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and just as a side note, they spake intelligent, understandable language when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, But they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation. He's an encourager, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we see the pattern. And there are just three simple steps of what worked on a local scale, what continues to work on a local scale, and which translates into global effectiveness. Number one, prayer to God was made. They recognized that the opposition and that the task and that the need of the work was greater than their ability to do. Look, I, you, uh, you remember, I hope you remember, and, and I need to do a better job in, of, of trying to keep this in front of us, but we have a missions goal. We have a church planning goal. Well, our desire is to be supporting a church planner in all 50 states. Our missions goal is to be supporting a missionary in every single country that exists. You're like, well, that's a big goal. Right, but we have a big God, and it's a big world. And, and even if we are to reach that goal, and I understand there are facets of it that we can't predict or control, and we can't call people who aren't called, but even if we were to reach that goal, and it would be amazing to reach that goal, there's still so many people that need to know Jesus Christ that are beyond our reach, and we've got to recognize the opposition to the work of Christ. We've got to recognize our inadequacy. We've got to recognize just how vast the need is and the world is and how much God loves people, and we've got to recognize that God is available to help us. You know, it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough that we simply have a desire to do what he commanded. We must be willing to interact with him, to demonstrate to him, and to ask him for his help and his intervention. And that we see, we depend upon you, and this is greater than what we are able to accomplish on our own. And so they prayed to God. Second thing, they preached God's hope. In verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Let me just deal with a couple of things. I already referenced this idea that the Holy Spirit produces a confusing language that nobody can interpret. That was a sign for the Jew, and it was always able to be understood by somebody, and the purpose was to help people know Jesus Christ. That has been done away with. You don't, you don't get the Holy Ghost of God in stages. The moment you're saved, 
He indwells you. You are sealed by the Spirit of God. I believe, I believe that completely. But when you have his power, it has to do with being yielded to him and surrendered to him. And one of the evidences, and there are two here, one of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, number one, you are talking about Jesus Christ. You are willing to testify of who he is and what he's done for you. And it's not about, it's not about comparing, well, I witnessed to this many people and they did this. No, 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 no. We are not to compare ourselves among ourselves. But we are to be willing to speak of the one, to do something, to draw the attention of the world around us to the one who has saved us and who is their hope. That's one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to the second one in a minute. But they, they preached God's hope. By the way, it is a message of hope. It's hopeful. No, look, we turn the gospel into something nasty. Okay, I'm, I'm going to talk about this. And y'all need to be okay with it. You've got to recognize the difference in having compassion for people who don't understand Jesus and who need to know him. And the difference in having compassion and then sanctioning the way that somebody's living their life. We will not be a church, and we will not have tolerance for having, making fun of lifestyles and berating people who are simply living out their ignorance of a God who wants a relationship with them. That does not mean we are sanctioning anything. If you come here more than once, you are going to know that we are unapologetically confrontational about sin. But we will not ridicule people. We will not mock people. We will not turn the gospel into a club with which to berate people. We will confront them with their need to have a savior and he wants a relationship with them. It's a message of hope. You say, well, man, people have a lot wrong with them. Right, that's why they need Jesus. I just, I just, man, we do, not, we do not go to heaven or hell because we are more or less sinners. If I got what I deserved, I spend eternity in judgment separated from God. There's nothing about my upbringing that sets me apart. There is nothing about my status as a pastor or good works that I've done. I am condemned without him, but in him I have life. And that, will be a, that is a hopeful message. And you can confront sin with a hopeful message in a way that demonstrates the love of Jesus Christ. Oh, We have two ditches with this. You have the one ditch that says, man, we just... We can't ever confront any, we can't confront sin. Okay, there's a, there's a big meeting of the Catholic Church going on. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not mocking, I'm just telling you which direction our world is headed. And they are going to debate, it's a global meeting. They're going to debate whether or not to begin to sanction and perform same-sex marriages. No, 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 look, don't, don't be more disgusted with that than you are with your own pride but I'm just telling you that, okay, so you have that ditch. We say, okay, we just got to sanction everything. Well, here's the problem. Jesus doesn't sanction everything. Okay, but then you have this ditch where we're just going to get mean and nasty and we're going to make fun of people because we don't like what they're doing. No, 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 no. You, don't, you, don't, you should never be comfortable with sin, but you better be comfortable with loving people to Jesus Christ because that's exactly what Jesus did. 
Well, I just don't know if Jesus would, I just don't know if Jesus would be with certain people. I don't know. The Bible's pretty filled with the gospel account of Christ that one of the greatest criticisms of him is that he hung out with sinners. Well, they weren't those kind of sinners. Oh, really? What kind of sinners were they? And the people, I continue to marvel at this. You study the life of Christ, and his harshest criticisms were, for one, the people that refused to believe the obvious, and two, for the religious elite that had pride in their position and thought they were right with God because of their established order. So they preached God's hope. Number three, they presented offerings to God's work. So they prayed to God, they preached God's hope, and then they presented offerings to God's work. So the multitude of them that believed, in verse 32, were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And, and so you've got, to, you've got to understand, and you go into 2 Corinthians, and, and you can see this as well, that offerings were taken up for different people and for different churches. And, and, and during that time, there was great physical poverty and affliction. And it's really hard for us to relate to this in this country because we just, we don't understand what it's like on this kind of scale to do without. But you had some really, really, really impoverished people and then you had wealthy people like Barnabas who took land and sold it. The, the point is that they gave money for a cause that was greater than themselves. That's what missions is. You say, well, where does it say the, where does it say the pastors or the apostles or the, the financial people told them how much they were supposed to give? You're right. You know what he's called? He's called the Holy Ghost. He's called the Holy Spirit. Man, he just works. I trust his ability to tell you what you need to do way more than I trust my ability. And I'm good with it. Man, I don't, I don't want to know. I don't need to know. I just want the work to get done, and, and God is able to communicate that. I want you to notice a couple of these things about their giving. Number one, it was, as I already stated, it was directed by the Holy Ghost. Number two, verse 35, they took the money, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made. Okay, here's the question. Who determined the distribution? The leadership of the church. You, you got to get this, you, you, and I know you do, but we got to stay on top of this in our hearts. When I drop it in the offering plate, I am relinquishing control because this is to God. No, look, I get it. People have abused that, and, and, and we can have bad taste in our mouth, and, and I have tried to be so transparent about the structure that we have put in place to protect this church, to protect this position, not just me, but to protect this position in this office and to do things in a biblical way. But we will not apologize for this. When you give an offering, you're done controlling it. You offer it as unto the Lord, and then you pray for and trust the leadership that God has put in place to direct it in a way that is going to honor him. That's the biblical method. And just because people mess up and abuse the biblical method doesn't mean we need to change the biblical method. It just means we need to make sure things are in place to protect us. And we do. We do. So, they prayed, they preached, and they presented. I want you to notice the use of a pronoun. I've already used it so many times. Look at verse 24. 
And when, say it please, heard that. Yep. Look at verse 31. And when had prayed, the place was shaken where were assembled together and were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word. Verse 32, in the multitude of, okay, them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. What's the next pronoun? But they had all things common. Verse 34, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. Get the pronoun. There are no singular I or me. I know this is simple, but it was a family acting as one. Okay, first point. Individual belief should produce unified participation. Individual belief. You don't believe on Jesus as a group. You believe in him as your own savior. Kids, you got to get this. You're not saved because your daddy saved, your mama saved, your grandparents are saved, your pastor saved, your Sunday school teacher saved, your aunt saved. You are saved because at some point in your life you recognize you are a sinner and you accepted Jesus Christ for yourself. That's the only way that you're saved. But individual belief, once you have it, it should eventually produce unified participation. Second evidence of the Holy Ghost, Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, one of the biggest obstacles to effective missions work in the 21st century is it's divided churches. It's divided families of God. It's divided believers allowing schisms. It's divided leadership who are selfish and who cause havoc. It's divided church members who have an agenda. Look, unity doesn't mean we agree on every single thing. Look, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not being silly at all, Brother Fiavai, and I, I'm confident in saying this because I know that you love me and I know that you respect me, and you are a faithful, godly man who God is using in the life of this church. I just want to ask you a yes or no question. Do you always agree with me? No. You say, how do I know that? Well, I can tell you how I don't know it. I don't know it because he's always telling me he doesn't, he doesn't agree with me. You know how I know that? Because he's a dude. And let me ask you another question. Does your wife always agree with you? <laughs> Unity, like, well, I just don't always agree with every decision you make, Pastor. That's not the question. Just like it's not a question of whether or not I always agree with every decision you make about your family. Does that make sense? No, we are called to serve one another in love, and I am not given authority to be a spiritual police, and I'm also given the responsibility to lead the life of this church. And sometimes there are going to be differences of opinion. 
But there has to be a willingness to buy in because of my belief in a common Savior that I'm going to buy in with the people of God where Jesus has placed me and where the Holy Spirit is obviously working. And my individual belief should produce a unified participation. I love this. I love a couple of quotes. There's no limit to the potential of brethren working together in complete brotherhood and selflessness towards spiritual goals. The power of God working through such channels will bring unimaginable blessing to all concerned. Here's another one. Growth is never by mere chance. It is the result of forces working together. Last one. Individually, this sounds like a fortune cookie, but I like it. Individually, we are one drop. Just drop. But together, we can be an ocean I'm not, for the sake of time, I'm not going to take you there, but 2 Corinthians 8, Acts 8, it, it, it demonstrates the same thing. But look at verse 31 through 34 again. I'm just going to read it quickly and then make the final point. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And then it talks about Barnabas. You know what you call verse 31 through 35, 37? You know what you call that? Progress. And I believe that's the kind of progress that is still possible today. Thank you, Brother Justin. <laughs> now you're like, well, man, what, have, you, have you watched the news? I do not care who's in the White House, who controls Congress, what the interest rates are, what gas prices are. Does it get challenging? Is it going to get harder? Yeah, it is going to get harder, by the way. You believe the Bible. It is going to become more challenging. No, I believe that God can bring revival and pockets of things can happen, and I'm not giving up on praying for this nation but this nation is not a Christian nation that needs to be revived. This is a nation that has wholeheartedly rejected the truth of God, and we are reaping the consequences of that. And if you're just expecting, man, it's just going to get easier and easier. No, it's going to become more challenging because that's what Jesus said was going to happen. But it's not time to despair. Man, we just need to be bummed out. Why? This is awesome because the harder it gets, the more desperate people become to know that there is hope. And there are people who are thirsty for the hope of Jesus Christ. They just don't know it. And we need to embrace the opportunity in the day in which we live and say, man, it's a great time to be alive. I wish I lived in the good old days. Well, I'm just happy I get to live in a day, and I'm thankful I'm living in the day when God wanted me to live, and I get to be a part of what I believe God wants me to be a part of. So here's the statement. United participation in a divine purpose results in unstoppable progress. Unified participation in a divine, let me change that word, pattern. Unified participation in a divine pattern results in unstoppable progress. So good. It's not unstoppable because of me. 
I'm like 5'8", 175, stopping nothing. <laughs> okay. You know all this nonsense people are like, man, I'm just going to tell the devil. You should just not ever talk to the devil. Nah, you're puny before him. But you know who's not? Your savior. You know what we should just focus on? A pattern that still works. And we should unify around participation in a divinely appointed pattern. And we will see unstoppable progress. What do you mean? I mean people are going to get saved. Churches are still going to be started. People are still going to hear the truth. And whether it's a closed border, an open border, whether it's the 1040 window, whether it's some village up in Alaska where drug addiction and all sorts of immorality immorality are ravaging those children in, in those homes, whether it's the inner cities of New York where all the news you see is just bad, but there are pockets in Brooklyn and there are pockets in Manhattan where the gospel is being preached. And it's never going to make national headlines but people's lives are being changed why because when we unif- in a unified way participate in a divine pattern the progress is unstoppable so let me give you a few thoughts god didn't save you to be an island can i just uh, this isn't a message about a local church but i'm going to say I, I i do need to make this point people uh People are like, well, I can love Jesus without being a part of church. No, you can't. No, you can't. That's like saying, that's like saying to Brother Feavai, I really love you, but I really don't like your wife. And so I want to come hang out with you. Oh, it's quiet. We got, we, we've let this Christianity develop. Well, I'll just serve Jesus my own way. No, you're not. You're going to serve him the way that he said you should. He died. Well, he died for individuals, right, but it also says he died for his church. And I'm not saying you don't love him. I'm saying you don't love him like you think you do if you don't participate in what he commands us to participate in. That's biblical. God didn't create you to be an island. Number two, you need the accountability. Thank you, Brother Andrew. Man, bro, Brother Andrew knows God. Brother Andrew loves God. Brother Andrew has a walk with God. Like, does Brother Andrew need me? No, he doesn't need me. He needs what God says he needs, which is a church family that will invest in him and feed him and help hold he and his family accountable to a spiritual standard that is greater than his own thinking. No, you need that. By the way, I need that. Well, you're the pastor, right? But that's why we do church the way that we do, because I have been approached by more than one man or woman who has challenged me and helped me. No, I'm not talking about a bad spirit. You come with a bad spirit, that's not going to help anybody. You just want to, you want to, you need to talk to me, and I open the door. I've been helped by people sitting in here. It's a help to me. I need the accountability. Number two, you can do more together than you can alone. Look, I understand different financial statuses. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't command us to give based on what somebody else does? He doesn't say, hey, give what you don't have. He says, just give what you have. Just 
You be obedient to me. Stop worrying about everybody else. And don't worry about it. God tells you to give a dollar. God tells you to give $1,000. God tells you to give less this year than you did last year. That's in God's hands. Hey, that's in God's hands. I'm not worried about that. You just be obedient to the Lord. But how many missionaries are you going to send to the 1040 window? Well, I just like having control. You're not commanded to have control. You're commanded to participate. Just be involved. It doesn't matter that you're not a people person. <laughs> this is my favorite. Man, I, I raised, I don't, write, you know, we have some of our kids, they're, they're more outgoing and some are not. And I don't say to the ones who are not, I, I understand you and therefore you never have to talk to anybody or look them in the face. You just, you just play on your personal iPad and never make eye contact with anybody. I am being a little facetious, sorry. It's not a parenting class. No, I'm not a people person. <laughs> I'll give you a hug, but God doesn't care. <laughs> Ask him for help. You don't have to be bubbly like me. You're like, Pastor, you're not bubbly, you're weird. Okay, you don't have to be weird like me and bubbly like Miss Jerry. Me and Brother Don will paddle down the weird boat together. It's fine. I love it when Brother Don says to me, you're weird. I'm like, that's the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm getting really distracted here anyway. I'm not, I, I, we're, we're all at different levels of comfort. Just be involved in it. And don't make it about what you can't do. Make it about what you're supposed to do. And, and just be willing to jump in. Can I ask moms and dads tonight? Show your kids what it means to be unified. Show your grandkids what it means to be unified. And moms and dads, be excited about participating in a missions offering. You know, look, look you, you know we are not barking about money. By the way, we, the reason we talk about money is because Jesus talks about money. He's the one that said where your treasure is. But he's like, man, all you do is talk about money. Not at West Valley. I mean, Brother Feavi does, but that's because he's leading the offering. I mean, what do you want him to talk about? The weather? Sometimes he does. <laughs> Trunk cars? I mean, we don't always know the devotion we're going to get. It's always good. It's like an offering. God commanded it. You know what's really awesome? You say, hey, kids, we prayed about it. And we believe that God wants us to give this much money to help missionaries tell people about Jesus. And so that little boys and girls that live in other countries who don't have nearly as much as you, one day they can hear the gospel and maybe you're going to meet them in heaven because we were obedient. Man, get excited about what you get to be involved in. Man, don't, don't sit at home and complain about it. Sit at home and rejoice in God. No, it's just a habit. I try to have this habit. Every time before I put an offering in the plate, I say, God, thank you for giving this to me so that I can give it back to you. Be unified about it. And whatever other things you're not unified about, be unified about loving God. Be unified about being a witness. Be unified about being on the same page. And then as a church, let's be unified. Buy into what we're doing. I mean, if you believe God wants you to be here, then buy in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not my job. I, I, I say this all the time. It's not my job to tell anybody if... God wants you here or not. That's between you and the Lord. But it, it is my responsibility to say, if you believe God does want you here, buy in, baby. 
I like, I like that. Say it that way. I am, baby. All right. Unified participation in the divine purpose results in unstoppable progress. Let me remind you of a couple of things, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to, just after you're done praying, you can be dismissed, and I'll give a little more instruction about that. Don't forget, I forgot to mention this. Um, on, on Wednesday night, our church, what we do, so our church, out of our missions budget, we're going to bless each missionary family that's with us. And, and we, try, we try to bless them. Look, churches can only do what they're supposed to do, but God's been good to us. And so we're going to be good to every ministry guest God sends our way. And, man, there, there are times when we'll have a missionary pass through and they'll never present here. But we just want to be a blessing and a help. And so we'll just, man, let's, God's given us money. Let's be a blessing to missionaries. People are given to missions. Let's give it away as much as we can. And so... We want to be a blessing, but something that we do that has meant a lot, it's just been proven over and over again, is that we ask you just to ask the Lord. It, this isn't obligated, but we have, we'll have three families. One of them will only be here on Wednesday night, but we'll have three families, the Belus, the Travises, and the Gazaways, and uh, we're going to have them on the platform. And then however the Lord would lead, just write them a little thank you note and maybe put a $10 bill in each one of those cards or whatever the Lord would want you to do. And just say, hey, it, I'm telling you, that adds a personal touch that every time the guests that we have, the ministry guests, they are blown away by it. And uh, look, we just want to be an encouragement to them. And then whatever the church gives to them, it's just going to be icing on top of what we give to them as a church family and just individuals. You know what that's called? Individually unifying around a biblical pattern. That creates unstoppable progress. Good stuff. All right. So we need to pray. Uh, we need to pray for the funeral on.